This is Brian Billick, and I'm joined by my partner, Jim Mora. Welcome to the Coaches Show podcast presented by Bud Light. It's the sure sign of a good time. Fourth and inches from the Falcon 30-yard line. Backs in an eye, tailback is Turner. They put White in motion. Ryan still up under center. They give it to Turner. Turner he does get not get it. Does not get it. It goes over to the Saints at the 29-yard line. Malcolm Jenkins and a host of other Saints come up and stone Michael Turner at the line of scrimmage, and the Falcon gamble fails. The Saints sideline erupts. So let's get started. Um, let's start with with a coach's decision, as we typically do, Jim. Uh, Mike Smith in Atlanta going for it on a fourth and you know less than half a yard fourth and inches deep in his own territory let's talk again about the mechanics of why you would do that because at face value you know you got to look at it and say was it worth the cost risk benefit ratio I think there's a, a lot of different factors here that you have to talk about when you talk about Mike Smith's decision um, first and foremost what jumps out to me in looking at the clips on Monday and listening to what the players had to say is his team supports Mike Smith. He really has respect to that locker room. Uh, And the onus they believed was on them to convert that situation. Uh, You read guys saying, we should be able to get six inches. Um, Our coach believes in us. We should be able to make it. Uh, We back our coach. He made that decision. He showed faith in us. Uh, you know, it's on us to, to make that, that to, to uh, gain that half yard that keeps the drive alive. And so knowing that and knowing that he did have the respect of his locker room going into that situation, I think probably made the decision easier for him. You know, he wasn't going to lose the locker room. No one was going to point the finger at him. The players truly sound like they believe it is on them and not on, on Coach Smith to have made that uh, first down. That's the first thing. Then the second thing, Brian, I think is uh, – like you had mentioned as we talked about this podcast, was giving the ball back to Drew Brees. You know, uh, where do you go for it? Do you go for it on your own 29, your own 30, or do you wait to your 50? They're the 50 or in their territory to go for it. So I think there's a whole lot of things. But the thing that sticks out to me and the reason that I'm having no problem supporting his decision is just because of the angle of the players. The players are going to support him in this. They, I think maybe it galvanizes his team a little bit, makes them stronger going forward. And we always talk about whether it's going for it on fourth down, whether you're going for a two-point conversion or not. You, you can't just take a snapshot of a given play and say, what's the decision here? Was it right or wrong? We always talk about, well, if it worked, it's right, and if it didn't, you're wrong. But let, let's also look. This, these are division rivals. If you go back to last year, and I had a couple Atlanta-New Orleans games, Mike Smith's gone for it on fourth down a lot. And been successful. And been very successful. In the game they had against New Orleans in New Orleans last year, they went, I think, three times on fourth down, got it, sustained a drive, and, and in an overtime situation, New Orleans never got the ball back, and they won the game. And you applaud that as, boy, what a tough, ballsy coach to make those kind of calls. And, and uh, uh, Mike Smith is also, and he brought up in the postgame, look, I've kicked the ball back to Drew Brees and never saw the ball again. Now, the one thing that interests me, there's two things that jump out at me. One, uh, and you talk about the players supporting it, that people always want to make, well, what are you saying about your defense or what are you saying about your offense? Well, you're saying something about either one on any of the decisions. Right. If you don't go for it, then are you saying, my, I don't believe my offense can get six inches? 
if you go for it, you saying, well, I don't think my defense is going to hold up. No, you, you don't have to lay that over the top of it. You're just making a decision. They actually played New Orleans pretty good. New Orleans was only 4 of 13 on third down. Exactly. They, in the overtime, had gotten one three and out. So I don't think it was a question of Mike Smith saying, I don't believe my defense can stop Drew Brees. I'm respectful of the fact that it's Drew Brees, but I think my team can get a half a yard. I think my team could get six inches. Um, the other one, though, and I will question this, at the end of the day, if they had gotten it, you're still now first down on your own 30. It's not like the outcome of that play was going to be pivotal in terms of putting us in or near scoring position. So to critique it from that standpoint, that's the one thing I might question. That's the only question that I would have. You know, I, I just think that uh, he, he's been aggressive. His players love him because he's aggressive. He shows faith in his players by being aggressive. And so to not be aggressive in that situation uh, wouldn't have made sense to me. I, you know, most guys would punt the ball there and they'd stick their defense back out there. But I, you know, I applaud him for taking the chance and, and having the faith in his players to say, you know what, we've got a really good running game. We've got a great running back. We've been pounding these guys. They're the worst in the league average per carry, New Orleans was, going into that game. Let's let's shove it down their throat here, you know, and it didn't work. And so obviously we're scrutinizing. Had it worked, and had they gone on and scored or you know kicked a field goal to win that thing, I mean he'd be a genius, he'd be a right. hero, he'd be a legend, you know. And it goes back to the thing we see every week: when it works, you're a hero; when when it doesn't, you're you're an idiot. You know, Mike Smith's not an idiot for making this decision. And Mike Smith, we we both are aware of the study of some. MIT or Cal guy. That I'm sure he hadn't that, coached a whole lot of ball games. Yeah, that, that says that you should go for it on fourth down. Fourth and anything less than two, I think the study said. Uh, because the percentages over a long period of time are clearly going to favor you. But it, that term, long period of time, in a, you know, is, is that the length of my contract? Is that, you know, and I, when I make that call, I want him standing next to me. Yeah. I want everybody to know Suffering that the same thoughts. consequences exactly that you right. suffer if it doesn't work. You've got a great point. Third twenty. At their own 32. They have to get to the Arizona 48. Back again goes Vic. He steps up. He is going deep down the far side of the field. And it is intercepted by Arizona. And the Eagles will go to their sixth defeat. It is picked off by A.J. Jefferson. It was a prayer thrown up by Michael Vick for Steve Smith. What a miserable miserable game for the Eagles well let's let's move on to the next discussion uh, it's been a while since we've really talked about the Eagles you know we've gone in and out of the struggles they had earlier than they seem to yeah, be they on got a roll hot a little bit yeah and things are on a roll and and uh, that was a tough loss clearly a back-to-back when you're talking about losing on a Monday night to Chicago in the way that they did you come back on a short week and 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 then to lose again, and I think the substantial thing is you lost at home, and the discussions are going to now shoot through the roof, and talk radio is going to be all over it again. We're back to should Andy Reid be fired, and and I'm going to go back to what we said a month ago. Whatever happens in Philadelphia, unique to that situation. Andy Reid's going to be a part of whatever decisions made. Right, going forward, whether or not he's the, the head coach there next year, it, it won't be the decision of others. It will be the decision of Andy in conjunction with others. Uh, he and he's earned that, you know. And and there are a lot of questions: Has he lost the team? Has he lost the respect of the locker room? You know, I, I don't think that. I think that the team respects him. I think they're still responding to him. I just think that they 
are not a very good football team right now for a lot of reasons. Number one, they still have not figured out how to play defense correctly. They did. They had a good little stretch in there, but over the long haul, they haven't demonstrated that they can really stop anybody when it counts. And then offensively, they've just faced a ton of inconsistency this year, and and they have ball security issues. But getting back to Andy, you know, Andy is an outstanding coach. He's a great man. He's well-respected in the locker room. The players play hard for him. They like him. Um, and, you know, he's just – Lori and Banner, they're not just going to fire him, okay? They're going to they're gonna walk in at the end of the year and they're going to have a discussion. What's best for the Philadelphia Eagles and what's best for you, Andy Reid? And let's go in that direction. If that direction is to go another direction, then he'll have a hand in it. If it's to say, hey, let's stick with this plan, we like it, we got Mike Vick signed to a long-term deal, then they'll support him on that And that's as well. the unique thing about it, and I think it's worth talking about a little bit because we, we both have been a part of this where – uh, typically, the decision makers in any given organization, whether it's the owner, the owner and general manager, if there's a president involved, typically when this thing is on the horizon, they're going to get together, they're going to hash it out, then they're going to walk into the coach's office, and hopefully, respectfully, they'll say, look, we, we need to go in a different direction. And they may or may not say, you know, here's the reasons why, uh, or, or they may say, you know, we're not going to talk about the reasons why because it doesn't matter, you're gone. But you're exactly right. This is going to be with Mr. Lurie, Joe Banner. They're going to sit down with Andy Reid and collectively say, okay, where are we? What do we need to do to correct it? Uh, they'll have some ideas. That doesn't mean they won't disagree, whether it has to do with Juan Castillo or the direction they need to go, what changes need to be made. And Andy Reid's going to have to say, look, I, I don't know if I'm the guy to make these changes. I don't know. You know, he's going to wade in on it, and he's going to be – because he cares for the organization. He cares for those relationships. And you don't know where Andy is, I mean, at this point in his career where sometimes you talk about a team wearing – you know, wearing – you're wearing out your welcome with the team or you're changing the message – it may he maybe he needs something to re-energize him in a different situation, whether it's lay out a year, go to a different team, to to because he's been at this just as much. You got to stay true to your fundamentals. You can't change. You can try to change up the message a little bit, but the core's got to stay the same. Maybe you need a new environment just for your own energy to re-energize you. I think that's a really good point. But whatever happens, I think we both agree that it'll be Andy Reid will be heavily involved in the decision, whichever way it goes at the end of this year. This is it. 43 seconds to go in the fourth. Giants, fourth down and two from the 9 or 10-yard line. Down a touchdown. Manning to throw on fourth down. And it's batted down at the line. The pass batted down by Justin Smith. It falls incomplete. And the San Francisco 49ers are going to hang on at Candlestick and go to 8-1 and one on the year. All right, let's get positive here because I'm, I'm tired of I'm getting down. Let's talking us all about coaches being fired and bad decisions. decisions. Yeah, let's, let's talk let's, something good. Let's talk something good. Let's talk about an 8-1 San Francisco 49er team. I've got their game this week uh, against Arizona. They're in San Francisco. I had their game, the one loss they had to, to uh, Dallas. And let's remember how close that game was. They could have easily won that game. So we could be talking about a 9-0 49er team. But at 8-1, best record in, in 14 years. Um, let's talk about how they get there. Let's talk about because everybody's talking about what, what have they done. Um, at the end of the day, they're as probably a completed team. Offense, defense, run the ball, pass the ball, turnover differential, not giving up big play. They, they're probably as complete a team as there is in the league right now. Oh, I think they absolutely are. You know, uh, when you combine all of those factors that you were just talking about, plus their red zone defense, don't forget red zone defense, they are as solid as you get. They've found the formula. 
play good defense, take the football away, don't let people in our end zone. They haven't given up a rushing touchdown yet this year and only one 100-yard rushing game, I believe. So, you know, they're they're doing a great job defensively, and I think Vic Fangio deserves a lot of the credit for the defense that he's brought in there and installed. The players believe in it. They're playing hard. They're playing fast. They're playing with great confidence. And then, you know, <laughs> it's funny because you keep hearing uh, – the big question still is Alex Smith. And when we were preparing for this podcast, I thought you had a really great point about Alex Smith. It's not that we don't know. Nobody's saying that he can't be the guy that shoulders the load. We're just saying we haven't seen him have to do that yet. I thought it was interesting after the game to hear Jim Harbaugh play a little bit of the disrespect card. Oh, you all are saying that that uh, Alex Smith can't play, and you all are questioning him. We believe in him. I think you're wrong, which is great. We, we've all done that in us against the world mentality. But you're exactly right. Here's the thing with me and Alex Smith. I've seen – I've done games with Alex Smith where they have had to open it up. They're not on a very good football team the last two years. They were down in Texas, down by 21 – or Houston, I should say. They were up in Green Bay. I had two specific games where they had to you know, fold it up, put the game plan in the back pocket, spread it out, and let's throw the ball down the field, and were very effective. But they were in games and during the season at a point where – who cares? You, you know, so I throw it uh, in an interception. Who cares if we lose the game? We're already out of it. That emboldens a quarterback. The question I have is, can Alex Smith? And I again, we don't know that he can. If need be, when you're playing New Orleans, when you're playing Green Bay in the championship game, when you're playing a good football team, and you have to do that with the game on the line. Now, how are you going to perform? We don't know that he can't. We just haven't seen it yet. Well, my only point of reference would be his game earlier this year against Philadelphia. Now, it turns out that was not a very good Philadelphia defense. At the time, we thought it was going to be a very good Philadelphia defense, but Alex Smith came out in the second half and lit him up and actually won that game for him with his arm. So that's my point of reference. The longer they can go, Brian, quite frankly, without having to find out whether he not or not he can do that, the better for them. And kind of a little bit opposite what we were talking about with Joe Flacco last week, you know, in the Baltimore Ravens. Man, let's let Flacco sit back in the gun and fling it around and see if we can win that way. Man, for the 49ers, as long as they can stick to this formula and keep winning games this way, the better for them. And let's, we can begin to talk now. We coaches, we did the same thing. It's oh, Forget it, just next game. We don't care. Yep. Right now they're just talking Arizona. But when you look at the schedule for the 49ers – Everybody says, well, they have an easy schedule. They're in the NFC West. They've only had one NFC West game now. So they're just now. They've had all those East Coast games, which makes the Satan one even that more impressive. They're about to come into their heart of the NFC West, and we all know what the NFC West represents in terms of the caliber of the teams. They have a chance of actually making a run here to where we're actually now beginning to talk about, in reference to the Green Bay Packers, home field advantage through the playoffs through the championship game, possibly going through San Francisco versus Green Bay, and those are two vastly different scenarios. Right. Of their remaining seven games, five are NFC West, and they go at Baltimore on Thanksgiving, and they've got Pittsburgh. So, Brian, they could easily end up, at the very worst, 13-3. and Now, whether that's good enough to get home field advantage over the Green Bay Packers who are red hot and rolling, I don't know. But one thing it does appear is that they're going to get a first-round bye and they're going to get a home playoff game in the second round, which means if they win that, maybe they have to go to Lambeau, maybe they have to go somewhere else, or if someone can sneak up to Lambeau and beat beat the uh, the Packers, then they would get 
the NFC Championship game at home. So, wow. And the Packers have, if, if I'm not – I haven't seen the final listing yet, but the Packers have one of the top five or six most difficult yeah. schedules going down the way here. So, when you look at that, the, now can the Packers – I just can't see them stumbling more I than I twice. No, I, I, I mean, I maybe agree. maybe twice. You know, one, I, I think it's going to be hard to go undefeated. But well, let's think about it. It, it. Let's say let's say it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> yeah. And let's say we're really looking down the way here, but but way down the way. Fun. Let's say the championship game is in Lambeau Field in January. I think that it's a great scenario for San Francisco. Who, who's better built to do nobody? That than the 49ers? Nobody because they they can run the football. They've got a really good controlled passing game with a quarterback that's making good decisions. They're a tough-minded football team. The environment and the the, the conditions or the weather conditions are not going to bother them. Jim Harbaugh will not let that become a factor. They play really good run defense, and they're good in the red zone, and they take care of the football and take it away. I mean, they're a team that, to me, if anyone can go into Lambeau late in January and have a chance, then I think it's the San Francisco 49ers, the way they're playing right now. Now, look, Brian. They've got seven games to go, and as you and I both know, the wheels can fall off real fast. But the way it looks right now, they're built to go into Lambeau and win if they have to. Tebow, two receivers on each side of the formation. All are bunched in the shotgun. Four-man rush. Tebow looks left, throws. Pass is going to be to Eric Decker. Decker's there! 15-10-5! Eric Decker to the end zone. Touchdown, Denver. 57 yards from Tim Tebow. To Eric Decker, the second completion of the game for Tim Tebow. Okay, here is the obligatory. Part do we have to of do this? Show. Yeah, we're gonna. We're gonna have You're to making it. us. We're gonna talk about Tim Tebow. Who? Okay, Tim Tebow. You you've heard of him before. Is he a, the running? He's the running back for the Broncos. That's right. Let me ask you something. Okay, yeah, let's let's role play here a little bit. I get today. I get to be the head coach and be like my defensive play. coordinator. Jim, I want you to get in an eight man front. All right. I'm going – if we're playing Timo, I'm going to play – Nine-man front. Nine or ten. ten. I want no free safety in the middle of the field. You're not going to have to worry about that because there's no reason to put one back there because they don't throw, throw it. Let him throw it ten times. Let him complete three for touchdowns. And, and uh, But how is a def- how do you not just build a hard eight-man front, get in a three-deep to say, look, don't let anything get behind you. Don't give them one cheap play. <laughs> if you can't stop the run with an eight-man front, you're not a very good well, team. Well, either, here's right? the problem, Brian, is that – in an eight-man front, you don't account for the quarterback as a runner. So really to stop the offense that they're running, the run game that they're running, you need a nine-man front. In order to run a nine-man front, you have to bring your free safety out of the middle, which means you put your corners on an island, inside leverage, no safety help, and you tell them, hey, hold up all game out there. Uh, and that <laughs> teams in the NFL aren't used to doing that. They've got enough. If you play just an eight-man front and Tebow is the ball carrier, they've got a hat for a hat, as we say. They've got a blocker for a defender. So, really, what they're doing in the run game is forcing you to play a nine-man front and say, hey, heck with it, man. Corners, you guys are on your own. The positive there is if you've got decent quarters, which the New York Jets do, by the way, who right. they play on Thursday night, you can do that. And Because Team Tebow was two, two for eight. Okay, now, one of those was a touchdown pass. All right, but I don't think you can get that against the New York Jets this week. Yeah, I, I just it's it's hard to fathom, and, and it's the same old discussion. And let's 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 jump on board here. They they won the game, and it's I'm not oh, it's jumping great on fun board. to talk about, and it's all. 
But we still, as we keep saying, you have to take a little bit longer view. Where are we, Jim? Let's say they continue this on. Yeah. Let's say they get to eight and eight. And let's yeah. say they're averaging 50 runs a game. Yep. And he's two for, and that's great. And the people are fired up and they're up and down the field. John Fox and John Elway aren't fired up. The people you're talking about are the fans, right? right? Yeah. Which is great. That's that's yeah. what this is about. But, but at the end of the day, you still know further down the road. What do we do? What do we do at the end of the season if we're eight and eight? We're running this, and we don't know any more about Tim Tebow throwing, or maybe we do know about him throwing the ball. I think Brian, that that's the point right there. I think that what we are realizing right now is that John Fox and John Elway understand exactly who Tim Tebow is and what he can and he can't do, and what they're telling us in a very clear and crystallized message is this guy cannot throw and win in the National Football League because it's unheard of to have your starting quarterback only throw eight passes. He was two for eight Sunday. So I think it's a, the, the message to me is very clear. Fox and, and, and Elway are saying, come on, all right, you can't win with this guy playing the conventional quarterback in the National Football League. The question will be, can you win playing this unconventional offense in the National Football League? And I would say with resounding conviction – no, you cannot. Yes, you can win some games, but can you win the ultimate prize? Can you be more than just a seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven team? No, and I think Fox and Elway know that without a doubt. Yeah, I don't know that you can. We we made the point earlier that great, do what Tim Tebow does well. Give him that part of the offense. Sure. But you've got to you've got to develop him. Yep. And you can only develop a quarterback on game day. You can do all you want in practice, but you've got to put him in situations during a game that moves you along in terms of your progression and what it is to play quarterback in the National Football League. And then we'll find that balance once we reach that point where you can operate that way. But you're right, Mike McCoy, the offensive coordinator, this is real clear cut. Forget that. Forget we're just yeah. we're just gonna do what he does and we're gonna now against a good defense, that's always been our premise, and he's gonna face a good one in Thursday against the New York Jets. Now we're gonna find out does this formula work. Well, I think your point is great. The point you started this whole thing with is eventually if you want to find out whether or not this guy can be your quarterback of the future, the guy that, you know, can lead you back to the glory of Super Bowl champions like John championships like John Elway did, you're going to have to put him in the pocket and let him throw the ball down the field. And uh, so it's great to win. I mean, our objective each week as coaches is to win. But the objective of the organization also has to be to find out if, you know, you can win long-term with this guy. And, and by not allowing him to throw the football, then they're not finding anything out about him. But it's it's really – you know what? You talk about a tough spot to be in for John Fox. This is about as tough as it gets. You've got a a fan base out there clamoring for Tim Tebow. Your job is to win football games. So the best way to win football games with Tim Tebow is to do what they did, which is run the ball 55 times and don't let him throw it much. But you also know that you've got to build an organization and that this is a quarterback-driven league. And so you've got to find out whether or not this guy maybe can develop into something. So it, it's a it's a real quandary for Fox. Yeah, we, we can use the analogy, or I have, of, all right, it was great that Seattle won the division all but at 7-9 and nine last year. But what now, as we sit a year removed, what did they really gain? Other than losing a draft choice that should have at seven and nine should have put you at eight, nine, or ten in the draft, 
uh, and, and the opportunity to build going forward rather than convincing yourself, you know, at seven and nine, we really are pretty close. And we only need a couple, you know, you, you convince yourself, you enable yourself to think you're better than you are just because you're able to win a, a playoff game all but at 7-9. and nine. And I think we see, notwithstanding a nice win against Baltimore, which I still can't begin to explain, uh, all but at home, uh, where are you now as an organization, as a team? Right. Yeah, and you're, you're so right. And I think that, that uh, win against Baltimore says probably more about Baltimore than it does against about Seattle because Baltimore has struggled in some games that they should have won this year. But, you know, back to Tebow, it'll be fun to see Thursday night here on NFL Network against the Jets <laughs> just what he does against what I think we both believe is a good defense, notwithstanding that they didn't play very well on uh, Sunday night against the Patriots. It is still a very good defense. You know what's going to be interesting to see, too? Let's remember Rex. When I hired Rex in Baltimore, I got him out of the college game. He had been in Oklahoma and then gone on to Kansas State. He knows what it is when you go back to now. Because you know, the people make that comment sometimes, the pro coaches, well, they don't know how to take – you know, they, they don't know that kind of game. They don't know how to play that kind of defense. Rex's background goes to that. I'm going to be very interested to see how he configures himself in a college-like atmosphere against a college-like offense in Tim Tebow. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think that Rex will do just fine. I think he's a pretty smart football coach, as you know. 11 and a half minutes to go. Here's the snap to Stafford. Taps the ball. Twice he threw another pick. Charles Tillman running it back. They're not going to get him. Peanut Tillman, 10, 5, end zone. Touchdown, Bears. Uh, my, I had the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears, and, and – <laughs> Boy, if there's a theme in this year's NFL, it's don't even don't even take any time discussing what happened last week in reference to what's going to go on this week. No kidding. Because here I've got the Detroit Lions that led the league with only five turnovers going in. Number one team, and we talk all the time, and we'll expand on this in the next couple of weeks, our, our toxic formula of the combination of turnovers, giveaways, takeaways in conjunction with explosive plays, giving big plays, getting big plays, and how that combines and what it means to success of a team. But here the Detroit Lions go in and and lead the league in fewest turnovers with five, have six turnovers in the Chicago Bear game. I mean, it's just it's uh, crazy how that can happen. And I think, you know, they, they got behind. Uh, they probably started pressing a little bit. They weren't used to – they should be used to the environment they were playing in, but they – Maybe they weren't used to the, the environment they were playing in, and uh, it got away from them. And, you know, people don't understand it, but that can happen in this league. You know, every team you play is a good football team, and if you're not on top of your game, you're going to get your butt whooped. And uh, that certainly happened to Detroit, and I think Detroit right now is experiencing a little reality check. You know, <laughs> things were going along pretty swimmingly for them, and everybody was on the Detroit bandwagon. But now all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 who are we really? And can we dig deep and be the team that we were early in the season? It'll be fun to see what happens with Detroit uh, as we finish up this season. And maybe it's me. Maybe it's my fault because I've had Detroit twice. <laughs> and I had them in their, at home against Atlanta. And watching the film, very impressed with Matthew Stafford. Boy, boy, his efficiency. We talked many times about coming out of college. There were questions about his accuracy. Uh, you see him. Uh, he, he's plenty accurate and playing so, so well. Uh, and then just didn't look right at home against Atlanta. And there was no – Atlanta's a good defense. Not mm-hmm. a great defense, but a good defense. Just didn't look right. Well, and I know it's on the road, but and I looked at their game, their first game, their Monday night win against Chicago. Uh, of course, Java Best went off for 160-plus yards, and they got great pressure on Jay Cutler at home, you know, because they're coming off on the turf, the right. crowd noise, those wide nines. 
Uh, but there again, in Chicago, Matthew Stafford just didn't look comfortable. He was out of sync. So maybe it's just me. And when I when I got their games, they don't want you anymore. I don't think so because uh, it he just didn't look right. Uh, and 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 we found out after the game he did have a finger issue. He was wearing gloves, and it was not that cold and it was not wet. Hmm. So I didn't quite understand why he had the gloves on because he uh, his accuracy he was all over. He looked terrible against the Bears. Well, you know, it seems like the Bears have sure come back to that formula that worked for them late last year, which is run the football effectively, uh, limit the, the amount of times that Cutler's standing in the pocket, uh, having to make the throws down the field, and it's sure paying off for them. Forte's playing well. Hester's involved. You know, Cutler's efficiency, while his yards have come down, his efficiency has gone up. And so, you know, they seem to be like a team that, that's hitting their stride here, very kind of under the radar, kind of quietly, but they've won three in a row. Much like last year. Yep. You know, when they stumbled uh, out of the blocks a little bit after the bye, found, refound that formula, found themselves in the championship game. So they're going to be an interesting team uh, as they progress. And, and what I see in their running game is not just – and Mike Martz, we know what Mike Martz likes to do. But I think he's come over to the dark side. I think he has. He's, 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 he's <laughs> running the ball with – conviction and a, and a philosophical, yes, we're going to run the ball, not just, okay, I'll run the ball if I have to. Well, I read some comments by Cutler last week and kind of talking about the change, the shift in philosophy of Mike Martz and how much Cutler respected it. And really he said how hard it has been on Mike Martz because it's counterculture to everything that he has always been. And yet Cutler was saying how much respect he has for Mike Martz for realizing and really buying into the fact that for them to be a, a good offensive football team that week in and week out can go out and play consistently that Mike Martz had to kind of change his philosophy of offense and go more to the run and be more concerned with protection and maybe work in more play action and they're doing those things and it obviously is helping them much Brian like it did at the end of last year let's talk a little bit I know the fans get frustrated when you have a return guy like Devin Hester and the fans were getting frustrated. Uh, the, the Chicago fans, they were booing Detroit uh, when they actually kicked the ball out of bounds. But initially, their first three punts, they position kicked very, very well. What do you want to do with a great returner? You want to pin him in the, in the sideline, cut down the, the, the return lanes. And they kicked it to they, they couldn't have kicked it any better with a good deep kick. He still got all the way behind it. They finally had it just to, to say, look, we're going to kick this thing out of bounds and didn't do it particularly well and gave him field position. Well. <laughs> hey, listen, you're right. Try, your your first plan is always let's keep it in bounds, but let's pin them to the boundary. But that's not working, and sometimes that doesn't work with Devin Hester. Then I say kick it out of bounds, man. Do, you know what? That poor field position might be a lot better than the field position if he gets his hands on it, which might mean you're about to receive a kickoff. So punt it out of bounds. Yeah, I've, and we've all had our share of special teams coaches, I can remember, on any number of occasions. Because the ego gets in there. We can kick to this guy. Yeah, right. We can cut. I go, yeah. wait a minute. Okay, first off, we're, we're going to remove – we're putting decaf back into the coach's uh, lounge <laughs> here right. because you're too cranked up, man. I do not want the ball in that guy's hands. No, and as a head coach, that's your job is to, to calm that guy down. Because we're all competitors. And, you know, special teams coaches it's, and special teams players take it as an affront when you say, you know, we're not going to kick to this Devin Hester guy. I don't you know, he's too good. And they, like, baloney, you know, we'll go down, we'll cover this kick. Man, our kick coaches, we'll put it in the corner and we'll go down there and we'll knock his ass off. Well, <laughs> you got to have a voice of reason as a head coach and say, okay, I, I respect that. I love your, your energy, your enthusiasm, your competitiveness, but guess what? We're kicking it out of bounds. We're kicking it out of bounds. <laughs> Because no no kick in the history of the NFL has ever been returned. 
from out of bounds. Romo's under center and on first down, back to throw. Good protection up in the pocket, deep down the middle of the field. All alone at the 15-yard line, Robinson in for the touchdown. Quick strike, LaRon Robinson, 58 yards. Another interesting team uh, as we move back into the NFC East, the Cowboys with a huge win against the Bills. And and I and you got to love, obviously, this newfound physical running game with DeMarco mm-hmm. Murray of the, of the Dallas Cowboys. In this instance, the Cowboys at home just overpowering the Bills. I'm not sure we didn't learn a little bit more about the Bills. It appears that if you're if you can be physical in your running game, the Bills can't hold up. And I don't know, you know, we were all over Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and his efficiency. It looks like teams are just now sitting on the underneath passing game. All right, you got to show us you can throw a ball down the field, and now that efficiency has fallen off because they're jumping all over the underneath stuff. Yeah, I don't know what I learned about the Cowboys. I mean, I think the Cowboys are a talented football team that's been very inconsistent this year. We know what they can, are, their capabilities are, but I agree with you. I think every week we're finding out a little bit more about who the Buffalo Bills really are. And I, I, I don't mean that as a, as a knock on them because I think they came out of the gate so strong, they surprised us all. And they're probably somewhere in between where they were early in the season and where they are right now. They're still a developing and emerging team. Chan Gailey is doing a good job with the talent he's got, but they've got a ways to go. They came out so strong, and they were getting so much uh, publicity about who they'd become, and I think reality set in a little bit. But I think what's important is that the pendulum doesn't swing too far the other way. We don't get too far down on them. We realize they have done some good things. They are doing some good things. They are a young team. They're, you know, in the second year of their program, and given a chance and given some time, they can be a good football team. But right now, a little bit of a reality check for the Buffalo Bills. We talk about a template with the Chicago Bears and Mike Martz coming over the dark side and being committed to it. Boy, do you see the template for Dallas? How lethal can Tony Romo be? He was 23 of 26. Yes. When you limit Tony, Tony Romo to 26 throws and can throw the ball the way the Dallas Cowboys, they put it up there 35 times running the ball for 163 yards. You talk about the perfect formula if Dallas – and remember when Dallas lost a couple weeks ago and we commented that Jerry Jones seemed awful comfortable after the loss. Hey, let's don't panic. And we made the comment, you know what, the rest of their schedule the rest of the way looked pretty good. They had a couple weeks where it looked like they might be able to get this thing cranked up. It sure looks like they've hit that stride. If they can keep this formula, just like we talk about the Bears, this could be truly a lethal Dallas Cowboy team. Yeah, well, their next game's against Washington, who's not playing very well. You know, you mentioned the run game. In the last four games, DeMarco Murray's ran for 583 yards. And any time you can run the ball effectively like that, you're making the game a lot simpler for your quarterback to play. When you can't run the ball, defenses can do anything they want to you. they (laughs) They can get as exotic as they want in their pressures because you are no run threat. But when you can pound the football and force them to play eight-man fronts and be gap sound and not run those overload blitzes for fear of getting gashed opposite those overload blitzes, then, you know, you've got them where you want them. First and less than a foot. Miller in motion. Lynch left side. Touchdown, Seahawks! Marshawn Lynch pounding over the left guard. The Ravens say the ball came out. The officials say no such luck. The Seahawks score a touchdown. Well, let's uh, let's move back into the AFC, and I, boy, uh, you, you live and learn. After the win against Pittsburgh last week, the Baltimore Ravens and and New England struggling a little bit on defense, last ranked in the defense. Um, 
at some point it's okay. We we finally have that clear cut team to be in the a- beat in the AFC. It's the Baltimore Ravens. Flacco's growing a <laughs> not <bit>. so fast. <laughs> yeah, how do you account? I know it was in Seattle, and you know better than anybody. Yeah. Seattle can be a tough place. I just can't fathom. I can't figure out this Baltimore Raven team in terms of just how good they can. How do you, you know? The old saying says, "Once uh, you lose once, or, or something happened once." What's the saying? If if, if something happened once versus twice, it's a coincidence. Three times, it's uh, it's a trend. It's a concern. Um, I I don't I don't know how to make. Yeah, well, this is their third. I mean, you think about it. They they lost to three sub five hundred teams at the time they played them, and that's the Titans, the Jaguars, and now the Seahawks. And you know, when you are a really really good football team. Uh, a great football team that just doesn't happen to you. All right, you might get down in those games, but you clearly come back and win them. And so I think that I think that Baltimore's a, a good football team, but the fact that they've lost to the Titans, the Jags, and the Seahawks tells me that they're not close yet to being a great football team. They've still got some issues they've got to work through. You and I both know, Brian, in this league that you know on any given Sunday. You know, a team can jump up. A team that you never would expect to win a game can jump up and and beat a really good team. But for it to happen three times in one season, you know that that to me raises a, a red flag about the Ravens. Now they they've got some time to get it squared away, and uh, whether they do or not, you know that remains to be seen, and that will decide how far they go into the playoffs this season or even get to the playoffs. I mean, I, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a uh, it's I get you know what for me. It's what makes the NFL fun. You oh, know, absolutely. it's why we want to watch it because anything can happen on Sunday. We never know. Nothing's taken for granted. Well, the thing that jumped out at me most about that game, and obviously Flacco, again, maybe fell back a little bit, didn't have as good a game. But on a 22-17 game, Baltimore punts the ball with a little more than four minutes. And they never get the ball it back. back. I know. That, and for against that defense? I know. Against against a Seattle Seahawks team that it has had issues offensively. Offensively, they've been bad. Now, defensively, it's a good football team. Yeah. But offensively, they've struggled. You know, I think that some credit needs to go to Tavares Jackson. And he's been bashed this year, and he's probably been bashed most of his career. But, Brian, Tavares Jackson is playing with a torn peck. I'm not sure that a lot of people know that. But he actually has a partially torn peck, an injury that would – require surgery amongst some players and he has decided that since this is his chance that this is his chance to you know really probably his last chance to lead a team to show that he's a starter in this league he's decided to play through it and so he's gotten it up and uh he made some really good throws down the stretch yesterday and I think it's give him a little credit for that do you you know we've been here before I'll, I'll throw something out at you because we've both been in these situations and rightfully so. When they beat the Steelers, that was huge for them. They were an emotionally right. charged team because of the way they had been swept by the Steelers before. They lost in the playoff game. The way they beat them last second, there, there was emotion there that you love. You, you love to see it. They then had to come back, go cross-country to Seattle, a team that's not very good. Can you attribute it to emotion? They were just emotionally yeah. spent – because of the win against Pittsburgh, and it was hard to emotionally get back up for this game. I think you can, yeah. We all like to think that that shouldn't be a factor, that these are professional athletes and they get paid a lot of money and they should be ready to go no matter what happened previously or who the next team they play is. They should be in the moment on the game that they're playing. But that's not reality. I mean, you know, they're human beings. They have emotions. I mean, they were worn out emotionally after that Pittsburgh game. The way they won that game. 
to win it at the end of the game the way they did. I mean, the people don't understand, I don't think, how emotionally draining that is. I know coaching, Brian, you'd go into your into your locker room and you'd talk to your team and then you'd go sit in your office before you had to talk to the media and you'd just melt into your chair. Just, oh, you know, oh my goodness, what just happened? I'd go home after every game and the first thing I'd do is I'd lay on my bed and I'd just fall dead asleep, just gone, wasted, emotionally drained. And it's the same for the players because they're emotionally drained, they're physically drained, and like you said, they had to travel out west. Hey, should it happen? No. Should they be overcoming if they're a really good team? Yes. But you know what? The fact of the matter is, the reality of the situation is, it doesn't always happen like that. All right, tell me then. Uh, paycheck's on the line. Best huh. team in the AFC. Right now, uh, you, had, you had to put your paycheck on a, on a team, Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, you know, but and here they just lost. I, I know, I know, but I know. Pittsburgh. I don't know that Pittsburgh. Uh, you lost. ask me again next week, I'm going to give you right. another team. I don't know that Pittsburgh <laughs> lost to Baltimore. They just ran out of time. Oh, because it was one of those kind of games. Okay. Right? Sounds uh, like an offensive coach to me over there. <laughs> but I, you know, I don't disagree with you. I just I'm going to say the Broncos. <laughs> aren't they? What are they on a couple two game roll? And you know what? We we look at we look at New England. And we just talked about the the run that New England. You know, we always talk about how confidence. It's going to be interesting to see with the the schedule coming up for New England. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, get a little bit of that swagger back. Yeah. At the end of the season, the team that has that true swagger about them, and it may come down to how does the season finish off, because the good, interesting thing for uh, both Pittsburgh and Baltimore, the way they're playing now. Um, they may have to finish this off. Yeah. They they may have to win that last game to maybe even make a playoff spot. And so where is that confidence compared to if, let's say, a New England can get – or a Houston. Houston, the way they're going right now, they may have yeah, their way let's of Let's not forget about those guys. They yeah. can kind of hang there. They may not have to do a lot the last yeah. two games. And that confidence, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. You know what's always fun for me is to see how New England reacts – when people start to pile on, you know, and it just seems that they find a way, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, the rest of that organization, those players, you know, just they, they always give it to – not so fast, okay? Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, we're not dead yet. And uh, just watching that game last night on the plane flying into Los Angeles was, was fun because I just had the feeling from the very get-go that – you know, and and prior to the game, I thought, you know, I think the Jets are going to win this thing. But right off the top, right as the game started, the the Patriots had this this aura about them. Tom Brady had this aura about him that said, "We're not losing tonight, okay? We're not dead yet, okay? Don't print our obituary yet. You might be writing it, but don't print it yet because we're not ready to go quietly into the night." Well, that's going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast presented by Bud Light. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Also, be sure to catch the Coach's Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks, everyone.